Good morning, everyone. Hope you're well. My name's Sai. It's great to be continuing our series, A Heart After God. We have seen so far how the first king of Israel, King Saul, started well, full of faith in God. But he soon became disobedient to God's command and more concerned about himself and what people thought of him. He was rejected by God in favor of one who had a heart after God. And then we saw how David, the young forgotten shepherd boy, is chosen by God and anointed by the prophet Samuel. David, full of the Spirit, grows into a man of faith in God. He, then due to his faith in God, he beats the giant Goliath. Send a man to fight me! That everyone else is too, fair, uh, too scared even to fight he becomes best friends with Jonathan, the king's son, and he leads Israel's armies into many victories. Saul, however, becomes jealous of David and tries to kill him. Jonathan saves David once, and then uh, the next time warns David that he needs to flee. Then David spends the rest of his life as a fugitive. In pursuit of David, King Saul kills some priests and is determined to bring about his plan of his son Jonathan becoming king, even though Jonathan is happy with God's plan of David becoming king. David spares Saul's life twice, and in the second encounter, he says these words to him in 1 Samuel 26, verse 24. Behold, as your life was precious this day in my sight, so may my life be precious in the sight of the Lord, and may he deliver me out of all tribulation. And this is where we're going to pick up the story today as we look at the final part of David's life on the run. Today, we will see how habits of a lifetime manifest themselves most clearly in times of crisis, and we'll focus on finding strength in God as David did in what was probably the most difficult time in his life so far. But before we get into that, I've asked a few people to tell us what they do to make themselves feel better when they are discouraged. When I feel sad or discouraged, I'll pray and I'll tell God how I'm feeling. Sometimes I might write down how I feel or I'll listen to some music. Jess, when you're sad, what makes you feel better? Uh, play with mummy and daddy make them fun things like space rockets. Bella, what makes you feel happy when you're sad? Singing, What makes you happy when you're sad? Ah, uh, lots and lots of cuddles. Well, first, especially if you're working, for instance, at school at home, I would take a break and just rest for five minutes. 
or I would uh, sit there and think about things, think through things that I was doing. And afterwards I'll talk through things with my parents and we pray together and give it to Jesus especially. And we just take a little rest away from stressful things like work. When I feel sad and discouraged, to make me feel better is to be outside with the nature, listening to music, talking to my friends and family. Thanks for that. It would appear, in, we're moving on now to 1 Samuel 27 to chapter 31. And it would appear that after David made this marvelous statement about God delivering him out of all tribulation, and despite God preserving his life many times, he decides in 1 Samuel 27 to go and live behind enemy lines. He goes and moves, with, moves in with the Philistines, these really very bad guys here. You know, the Bible doesn't comment on whether this was right or wrong. Interestingly, there's no mention of him seeking the Lord uh, or of him inquiring, inquiring of God whether he should go or not. Mary Evans, in her commentary, The Bible Speaks Today, commenting on this passage, says, It is interesting and may be significant that David's departure is presented as a result of his own reflection rather than any direction from God. Saul certainly stops chasing him, but David has to live a lie and lies frequently to King Akesh. Christ, however, never lied. And we as his followers should not lie. Christ was also careful to do and go only where the Father directed. And we as believers should seek God in all major decisions of our life too. One thing I love about the Bible is that it records what happens and doesn't gloss over people's mistakes, made the mistakes of its, even of its heroes, which only adds to its veracity of the accounts that it is given. Every Bible character, you see, apart from Jesus, is shown to make mistakes. The apostle Peter, well, he denied Christ three times. And then later on, when he's having a feast with, uh, with some Christians, when some Jewish Christians come along, he, rather than standing firm on the, the truth of the glorious gospel of grace, shrinks back so much that Paul has to address him. The great Apostle Paul, he gets into such a heated argument with his colleague Barnabas that they end up parting company. A little later, you find that he insults the high priest of God, which he has to apologize for later. He, he, he says, oh no, that was my mistake, sorry. Sometimes the Bible makes it very easy for us and comments saying, this person uh, sinned in this or this was evil in the sight of of God. However, lots of times it doesn't. So not all of what David did was right. We're not seeing someone who was perfect here. And some of the things he did are clearly wrong. And yet God uses him for great purpose. And this should encourage us because you and I will make mistakes. But because of Jesus, we can be forgiven. 
as we try our best through the Holy Spirit's help to live for God, he too will be working his eternal purposes in you and in me. It's not an excuse for us then not to try hard and to make every effort to put to death those things that God finds displeasing and to try and do the things he has called us to do. No, no, actually, we should try all the more to live for God because of what he has done for us. Knowing that when we get it wrong, which we all do from time to time, because of Jesus, we can receive forgiveness. And if you're here today and you're looking into how to live for God, how do I please God, what, what does he require of me, then it's not about you trying to do this good work or that good work. It starts by you thanking God for Jesus, for sending Jesus, who did live that perfect life. And then he chose to die on a cross so that he could take on himself the punishment for the things that you and I have done wrong. And we, as we put our faith in him, can receive his righteousness. It's a, it's a divine exchange that happens when you surrender your life to Jesus. When you pray something along the lines of, Heavenly Father, I know I've done wrong. Thank you for sending Jesus on the cross to die for me. Please help me live the rest of my life for you. When you pray something like that, which you can pray now if you want to, then God takes hold of you and a divine exchange happens where you get given Christ's righteousness and he takes on himself your sin and your mistakes before God. And then God gives you his Holy Spirit who comes and lives inside of you and who helps you put to death the things that God finds displeasing and helps you live for God. He also helps you to understand God's word as well, what he requires of you. So it doesn't start with you trying to do this or you trying to do that, but with you looking to Jesus and thanking him for what he has already done for you through his life, his death, his resurrection and ascension into heaven. You start by looking at Jesus and you continue by looking at Jesus and being captivated by his beauty, by his magnificence for all of eternity. Oswald Saunders, in his great book, The Incomparable Christ, says this, The moral perfection of Christ impresses itself on the thoughtful reader of the gospel. In them, the evangelists, that's the, the gospel writers, present the portrait of a man, a real man, who displays perfection at every stage of development and every circumstance of life. He never spoke when it would have been wiser to remain silent, never kept silent when he should have spoken. Exact truth and infinite love adorned each other in his winsome personality, for he always spoke the truth in love. He who was the truth spoke the whole truth and no occasion arose for modification or retraction of his spoken word. Hallelujah. When 
Jesus spoke on a subject, there was nothing more that needed to be said. Every element of moral and spiritual beauty resides in Christ. My friend, Jesus is the best and we look to him. Anyway, let's, let's move on in the story of David. During this time with the Philistines, the Philistines gather to, to fight against Israel and King Akesh calls David and says, you know, you're, you're going to fight with me. We calls David, um, uh, you're going to come in with me into battle and fight against uh, the Israelites. Um, and uh, David agrees, but he, it's not actually like he has a choice in the matter. It's a bit like when, for those of you who are married and your wife says to you, uh, can you, uh, you're not going to leave that bag there, are you? It's not really a question. She's not saying, do you want to leave that bag there or not? She's saying, move the bag somewhere else. What David would have done in the battle when it had started, you can only speculate because the Bible doesn't tell us. However, it would be rather a contradiction that if David, in sparing the Lord's anointed um, by living in a foreign land, actually teamed up with the enemy and, uh, and fought against the Lord's anointed. But either way, in 1 Samuel chapter 29, the Philistine leaders, when they see David coming along with King Akesh, they, they say, no, 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 he's not coming into battle with us unless he, in case he turns against us. So let's send him back home. Interestingly, when King Akesh talks to David and dismisses him, he uses the term, as the Lord lives. He invokes the name of David's God, not his own God. Clearly, David had not compromised his faith whilst he lived amongst the Philistines, even if some of his, uh, some of his antics had been rather questionable. My friends, do your friends know the name of your God? Do they know you as a Christian? They, it was true for David. They knew who his God was. David and his men leave for their home at first light. And Ruby will read what happens to us in 1 Samuel chapter 30. This point in David's life is easily the most difficult that he has ever faced. And actually the same will be true for Saul, which we'll look at in a minute after we've learned some lessons for David. Physically and emotionally exhausted. They come over the hill to what should be a familiar sight and see, expecting to see children playing and their wives cooking dinner and all that sort of thing. However, there's nothing. Deathly silence. The village burned and, and ruined. These guys would have, it would have been complete devastation that they would have looked upon and they would have just been completely besides themselves. They had followed David behind enemy lines. 
They had gone out to battle with an enemy uh, on the side of an enemy nation and been sent back, not by David, but by the Philistine leaders. And when they came home, their homes had been destroyed and their families taken or killed. They don't know at this stage. They were bitter, verse 6 tells us. Interestingly, the same Hebrew word is used by Naomi when she returns uh, to her, her village in the story of Ruth. She returns to her village and they say, Ah, oh, Naomi. And she says, Don't call me Naomi, which means pleasant. Call me Mara, which means bitter. Because the Lord has dealt bitterly with me, she says in, in Ruth chapter 1, verse 20. I won't go into her walk perspective there of, um, of God because it was her that had left the promised land that God had given her. It was, it, it was her and her family that allowed her sons to marry foreign ladies who worshipped other gods. And at that point, Naomi had no idea of her part to play in producing the granddad of King David. She knew nothing about King David, and of course through King David, she knew nothing about her part to play in Jesus, the Christ, coming. David's men were bitter. No hope in God, just blame for David and thinking of killing him. However, David, who would have felt the same emotional exhaustion as his men, it says, strengthened himself in the Lord his God. He didn't give in to despair. He went to God. My friends, what do you do when life is tough? When disaster strikes, when pandemics arise, when calamities come your way? Do you get bitter and blame someone, a, a leader? Oh, it's all Boris Johnson's fault. Oh, the Chinese government, if they had dealt with it differently, oh, it would all be different. Do we blame family members? Do you, like Naomi, blame God? It's all God's fault. Do you blame yourself and go into self-recrimination? And then look to take everything into your own hands as to how you're going to try and sort it out, as Saul did or do you, like David, go to God? My friends, when you're in a crisis, run to God. Cry out to him. Who knows what God wants to bring out of the trial that you are currently going through or that you will go through as you strengthen yourself in the Lord, your God. Now the Bible says, cast all your anxieties on God for he cares for you. 1 Peter 5, verse 7. God says to his people in Psalm 50, verse 15, Call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver you, and you shall glorify me. In Psalm 77, he says, it says, I cry aloud to God, and he will hear me. In the day of trouble, I seek the Lord. See, in reality, being able to strengthen yourself in the, in the Lord your God in a day of crisis is actually the fruit of going to God regularly, bringing your decisions before God, 
and looking to his word for guidance. Make it your daily habit. And then, in the furnace of a crisis, like David, you will gravitate towards God for help. And help you, he will. Whether it be like Jesus, where he strengthens him to endure the trial that he had for him, or whether it be like David and he brings swift deliverance, God will lead you through the trial victoriously either way. David strengthened himself in God and then went to God for direction using the God-ordained method of the ephod that the priest worn had, would wear to seek the Lord in unclear matters. My friends, as Christians, we don't have an ephod that we, we use. That's, that's Old Testament. We have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. We have the Word of God with the timeless principles of God to rely upon. We can go straight to the throne room of grace in prayer to God and to understand his will and bring our problems and our areas and our decisions to him. So get in the habit of using these ways of spending time in God's word, of seeking God in prayer. And in times of testing, his Holy Spirit will lead you into what you should do and remind you of God's promises to you. David looked to God for guidance and God gave him the victory, everything back and more. Jesus promises his disciples who look to him, he promises them eternal rewards, eternal life. Jesus will never let you down. And just like David's men found out here that God would never let them down, all because David didn't give in to despair, but strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Who knows what God wants to do through you, strengthening yourself in those times of trial. Saul, on the other hand, has a tragic end in so, so many ways. After spending years of disobeying God and rebelling against God's plan, he even goes and kills the priests of God Like that. He comes to this time of crisis with the Philistines. And he has no one to guide him. He has hardened himself against God. And now he's under God's judgment. Instead of repenting, he adds to his sin by going to a medium to consult the dead. In 1 Samuel 28 something that scripture expressly forbids, along with all other forms of occult activity like tarot cards and Ouija boards and horoscopes. Now, don't get caught up in 1 Samuel 28 with uh, the fact that, oh, did they contact the dead or, or, or not? Was it, a, was it really Samuel or not? It's forbidden. The Bible says don't go there. God actually says, in his word, in 1 Chronicles 10, verse 13, that the fact that Saul went to a medium was part of the reason why he died the next day in judgment. 
Here it would seem that God allowed Samuel to go back and remind Saul of what God had already told him and then pronounce his death the next day in battle. So Saul does go into battle in 1 Samuel 31. His sons are killed and he is wounded. In his despair, he still doesn't go to God, but he falls upon his sword. <coughs> Something like that. My acting skills aren't that great, but never mind. He, f- he takes his own life. Saul, who is supposed to save God's people from the hands of the Philistines, 1 Samuel 9 verse 16 tells us, due to his disobedience and his resistance to God's purposes, dies at their hands. It's a tragic end to Israel's first king, which could have been so different had he humbled himself before God. And what is really sad, in both these accounts, in 1 Samuel 28 and 1 Samuel 31, we see glimpses of how Saul started so well. They have to search for a medium because Saul in his early days had banished all the mediums from Israel's land. In his early days, in faith in God, he had, he had rescued the men of Jabesh-Gilead from an enemy. And yet here, it's the men of Jabesh-Gilead who go out and bring back his dead body and the dead body of his sons from the Philistines, risking their own lives to do so. What a warning to us, my friends. Keep your heart soft before God. Stay obedient to him. Be quick to repent when we fail before God, which we all do. Accept God's plan for you and for others around you. Trust God to know best for your life and their life. Don't resist his plans, otherwise it's a slippery slope to hardening your heart before God, which only leads to disaster. If that's you, as I've been speaking, if you think, oh, actually, that's me, then confess your sin to God and resolve to submit your life to his will. God in his grace will forgive you and even weave in some of your mistakes into his plan, just as we'll see he did with King David later on in the story. Anyway, the scene is now set for David to become king, a man who had a heart after God and knew how to strengthen himself in the Lord his God in times of crisis. Let's us be like David and make sure we practice going to God regularly so that when the fiery trials come our way, we will not give in to despair, but we will strengthen ourselves in the Lord our God and he will lead us through them victoriously. Be blessed. Have a great week. Hopefully see you soon.